1: Hello and welcome to Brexit Unspun. This is where we debunk the political spin around Brexit. I'm Shona Jenkins. We were promised that Brexit would save us money as we would no longer need to make big contributions to the EU budget, but things turned out to be not quite so simple. In fact, EU suggestions that the exit bill could be as high as 100 billion euros have prompted accusations of extortion from Boris Johnson and hints that Theresa May might walk out of the negotiations in September. But what is the real situation and what are Britain's options for negotiating a reduced sum? Here with me to discuss this is our Brussels bureau chief Alex Barker and James Blitz, our Whitehall editor. Alex, why does Britain have to pay an exit bill and how does it break down?
0: The EU basically expects Britain to honour commitments that it considers the UK to have made while it was a member. The EU has a seven-year budget. It's about £140 a year. And the way it's run involves commitments to spend money, which are actually over many years, and then the annual payments you make every year. And when you look at the different types of commitments, you end up with different calculations on how much the UK's exit bill may be. The first kind of tranche of that are budgets that the UK has signed off where the money's not been paid yet, as well as long-term commitments like pensions. That brings you to about €30 billion net and about €40 growth. If you add promises that were made to member states to spend money in the future, promises that would be budgeted and paid after Brexit, you get to about 40 billion net and 60 billion gross. If you take the EU's opening stance, which says, actually, look, the UK signed up to a long-term budget that lasts until 2020. And in that, there are farm payments, there's administrative payments, there's Jean-Claude Juncker's salary. And if you throw all of that in, and the kind of contingent liabilities like loans that might go sour, that gets you to 60 billion net and 100 billion gross. And that is basically 13% Britain's share of the commitments that the EU made over that period.
1: So, what are EU officials saying about the extent to which these sums are negotiable?
0: Well, I mean, they're taking a pretty hard line on this. They see it as a legal commitment. And even if it is questionable legally, they would say, look, if you want a future relationship with the EU, you need to give us confidence that you're going to honour commitments that you make in the course of relations. And so they're taking a pretty hard line. And actually, behind that is a concern about what it might do to the dynamics within the EU. Because the Long term budget is ending in 2020. It's the hardest negotiation in Brussels that you can imagine, apart from Brexit, maybe. That's coming up soon. There's a big gap that Britain's exit leaves, about 10 billion a year net, and that has to be filled by either net contributor countries like Germany chipping in more or cuts to the receipts that countries like Poland or the Czech Republic or Portugal might receive. And that's a hugely divisive issue for them. And they don't want that long-term budget open prematurely. So they need some guarantees pretty quickly from the UK. And that gives the UK a lot of leverage in this as well. And actually, the most important number in all this is probably the payments that the EU needs in years 19, 2020, 2021 to keep it going as it is without a kind of budget crunch that will cause political division. And that's about £10 a year.
1: James, was all this a surprise for Brexiters? And what line are the officials in the UK taking now?
2: Well, I think one can start by saying it's certainly been a very great surprise for the British public. If you go back to the referendum campaign, uh, leading up to the referendum on the 23rd of June last year, there was very little, if any, discussion about the need for a single financial payment to be made to the EU on departure. The only thing in this area that was raised and raised very prominently was the suggestion that Brexit would lead to Britain receiving £350 million a week, which could be given to the NHS as a result of our no longer having to pay into the EU budget. And that £350 million a week figure was incredibly important for the British public and also in particular for the success of the referendum for the Leave side because it gave Leavers the impression that Brexit would actually lead to a significant boost for Britain's public services and particularly the NHS, which, as you know, has a totemic status. So the starting point of all this is that this is really a very big political shock for the public. And as the negotiation now formalises itself and begins between the EU and the UK over this budget number, that £350 million a week figure is still very much in the public mind. But British politicians, in particular Theresa May's government, have done absolutely nothing to prepare the public for the arguments as to why the money has to be paid. And that is why this is such a difficult issue and why, if you look at the three major issues that have to be debated in the so-called divorce part of the settlement, the budget numbers, the acquired rights of EU nationals and the border between Northern Ireland and the Republic, this is seen by many people as the most difficult because the demands are very great on the EU side, as Alex has said, because the 10 billion euro hole has to be filled. And on the other side, There has been no political mileage spent at all in explaining to the public why this should be paid. And one other thing, these European budgetary issues are incredibly toxic in British politics. They have been going back to Mrs Thatcher's day when she had the famous waving of her handbag at the Fontainebleau summit and the arguments over the British budget rebate. They continue to be. And so this is going to be a very difficult situation.
1: So, Alex and James, given all this, how do you see this playing out? I'll start with you, James.
2: Well, I think it's going to play out, first of all, pretty messily. David Davis, the Brexit secretary, said that the row of the summer was going to be about the sequencing of the EU talks. And in fact, that turned out not to be the case at all. The British just gave way on how the talks would be sequenced. I think it's more likely that the row of the summer will be about this budget issue because I think it will help Mrs May, who's extremely weak at the moment politically, to actually go out and start fighting her corner a la Thatcher on this issue. I think she'll get a lot of support from the tabloids, but nonetheless come October, the British really have got to start making some hard decisions because if they don't get some kind of outline agreement on where things are going on the budget, then we cannot move to the second phase of the negotiations which is a discussion about the future UK-EU relationship and the possibility of transition so I think at some stage, the British are going to have to decide how they're going to give way, and I suspect what they're going to have to do is look at some kind of figure. They don't deny that some kind of figure has got to be paid, but they're going to have to look at ways in which those figures can be presented in a way that appeals to the British public. And that might be about possibly hypothecating them against very specific programmes, or perhaps explaining to the public that although money is being paid, this is much less than has been paid up till now in the classic EU budget payments. So There will have to be some compromise at some stage if we're to move on to a new phase of the talks. Alex? the First point, I think the UK understand
0: that this is the strongest leverage they have in the talks. And there is a willingness in parts of Whitehall and among some negotiators to use it in the negotiation. There is a readiness to eventually lubricate a deal with the EU with a significant financial settlement. That's the first point. Second point is the landing zones that the two sides are imagining at the moment, I'm not sure they overlap. The solution for the money is a transition. You can sell it to the British public as part of the smooth exit out of the EU while basically sustaining the level of funding that the EU need to avoid a budget crunch. The problem is that if your transition is paying for the past, that's one thing, but you're then not making your contributions that you would make as a single market member. It's not dealing with the future as well. If these payments that you're making in the transition are about participating in the single market or whatever our transition arrangements are, you're building up commitments every year still that at the end of your transition period, just like in 2019, you'll have a legacy bill of promises that are made on projects Budget provisions that haven't been paid yet. And so there'll be still a slug of money that you need to pay to kind of exit the union because you can stagger the costs of the past. But if you're still participating in the single market, you're building up new liabilities as a kind of almost associate member. So that's the fundamental problem that they're going to be facing. I'm not sure they've really reconciled that yet. And it's going to be a long slog. And I suspect you'll see this playing out through the autumn right up to the end of the year, potentially even further on, because for the UK to completely give way on this is to really give up their main card in the whole negotiation.
1: Thanks to Alex and James and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for another unvarnished look at what Brexit will mean for Britain's trade, economy, public institutions and private sector. We hope you'll join us then and we'd be delighted in the meantime if you wanted to review or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you download. You can also email us at Brexit unspun that's all one word, at ft.com if you have a question or would like to suggest a topic for future episodes.